Hello, everyone. This is Here to Learn. I'm Matt Edwards. Thank you so much for listening to these episodes that we've put out. Um, it's hard to believe this is the last episode of our first year of doing this. It's almost been one full year since recording the first episode with Austin James, and now I get to put out uh, the final episode of our, our first year kind of experimenting and doing this. And um, I'm super excited about um, this episode. It's with a coach. Uh, that I have admired, that I've worked with for nearly two decades and um, really enjoyed his style, enjoyed the way he interacted, not just with his players, but with, with his colleagues and teaching peers. Um, um, Chris Davis is his name. He's a local Raleigh uh, man of the people, I would say. He grew up here and went to school here and has returned here and has been at, uh, at Millbrook High School for, for quite a while. Um, I will tell you that we recorded this right before um, the COVID-19 pandemic hit and uh, throughout quarantine, we've been dealing with some um, engineering issues with it. So I go ahead and apologize for the sound. Uh, my producer, Wendy Edwards, who's also my wife, has you know been banging her head against the wall, really trying everything she could figure out, try to get the sound as, as good as possible for you guys. and. Um, I just I love the content of the interview so much, so we're sticking with it. But please forgive us on the sound. I think you're going to just really enjoy the topics that we hit and and the perspective that Chris brings. Um, but uh, stay with it. Do your best with the sound. I think you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for your support over this first year. Hopefully we can keep going and um, just really fortunate to have gotten to do this. Hope you're staying well. Hope you're taking care of yourself. Hope you're making good decisions, and I hope you're being an encouraging person. Thank you for listening. Well, Chris Davis, welcome. Thank you for uh, giving some time, and um, you're a person who I have admired watching uh, coach over the last, um, gosh, 18 years, and um, really have always been impressed with your ability to uh, relate to kids, but also relate to your colleagues. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you've gotten into uh, the education world. I know you're a local guy uh, from Raleigh, but I wanted to kind of share a little bit the story of getting you from your high school experience, maybe back into the high school. Right. Uh, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, it's weird, you know, being in this area as long as I have and, you know, not just living in North Carolina, but living in other places, you know, just where you kind of want to want put set your tent up, you know, as a, as a as a community, as a place. I just love Raleigh. I love the area. I love the, the, the pace of Raleigh. I love the, you know, you go to Atlanta, you just, the traffic's awful. You go to L.A., traffic's awful. You know, I feel like you're here. You know when and where, you know how to get to places. And um, and we have a lot of good things going on, so mm -hmm. it makes it easy. So, um it's weird that going to Inlow High School where I went. Um, they didn't like Millbrook. You know, uh -huh. Millbrook wasn't a wasn't a, a, a good place for us. We would come over here and lose in almost every sporting event we played, and um, you know didn't didn't like Millbrook as much as much. So um, you know, I ended up going to NC State and you know, loved that. And I had a job working at a community center, and they needed a um, a basketball team for older age group. And I was like, okay, well I'm in college. I don't really know anything about this basketball thing. You know, I, I like it. I like sports, but I've never like coached. 
And the only place that had a job, had a, had a team opening was Millbrook Exchange Park. They had a, a 13 to 15 year old team. And the majority of the kids were either Millbrook kids or Sanderson kids. And they were all like soccer players or kids playing on the sport and didn't play on the school mm-hmm. team. And that's where I fell in love with coaching basketball and, and gosh, I was like I was 19 at the time, um, and, and loving the game. And then it was right beside Millbrook High and it just worked out. I ended up getting a job here later. So. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so you talk about, um, you know, working with uh, some guys who weren't, uh, who were definitely Millbrook community guys that weren't necessarily on the teams here. Um, how did that help you kind of get a sense on what you'd be stepping into eventually as, uh, as an educator in this area? It was weird, you know, just the, the different levels of kids, you know, um, you know, you being a, a great soccer coach, um, soccer players have great athletic ability and talent, and they, they do stuff other than just soccer. So I usually had, you know, two or three kids that, like, played varsity soccer, mm-hmm. you know, that played on the team that, that were good players. And um, actually, um, um, you know, I just, just go back to just thinking about I had that, and I had a couple really good football players from Sanderson mm-hmm. that, that weren't good enough to make the basketball team, but were really good athletes. And... My first guy was Casey Prince. So I just never forget the fact that Casey was playing goalie for Millbrook and ended up having a great um, soccer career, not only here at Millbrook, but you know, abroad. And um, just the fact that he just, and he actually introduced me to Adidas. So that's oh, why I'm, yeah. I'm an Adidas guy because of Casey. <laughs> but um, just just good kids, you know, just, just love playing sports. Their friends would come out and support them. And that's when I kind of got about got to learn about the Millbrook and San, Sanderson communities because those kids would come out and watch rec league games, you know, and you know they're playing other sports or, or they're a part of the group, but they were coming to support their their um their friends. And they actually changed majors in college because I was like, man, I'm kind of digging these around these kids, man. This, yeah. this this high school age group kid is actually a pretty cool guy, pretty cool kid to be around. So I kind of I kind of levitated to that a little bit yeah. and um, kind of got to that place where I wanted to be around kids more often. Well, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think being around high school kids can be one of the more uh, exciting things just because, you know, their level of passion that they're capable of and uh, their level of excitement just, you know, takes wherever you are on a certain idea, just takes it to another place. What, um, have you always just coached basketball? Have you been able to, mm. to get in some other places? That's a very good question. I've actually coached uh, middle school soccer. I coached um, at Millbrook. I actually coached um, JB softball for a year because we had a, we had an issue. But and I've coached some track and I've done like some little little five six year old soccer and t ball things of that nature. And when I was working at the community center when I was in college, we had a, a, a league called Chris Pitch where I was the pitcher for <laughs> everybody in the league. That's and what I'm talking about. Was good and bad. Took uh-huh. a couple back up the middle, but it was a lot of fun. But um, and my soccer experience was really cool because um. Because, you know, Coach Dink over at, at um, Lee's where I was coaching at middle school, and I coached basketball only. Never mm-hmm. thought of coaching anything else. And he was like, you know, Coach, Coach, you're good. You're fine. You'll be fine. You just do it like basketball. Do it like basketball. <laughs> so I'm literally having to learn the terminology. But I, I felt like I coached it exactly where I coached basketball. You know, fast pace, um, you know, really move the ball down the field as quickly as possible. Um, had calls for, um, for for corner kicks, things of that nature, uh-huh, which were, uh-huh. was kind of funny. And um, we were really good. And actually, those kids I coached ended up winning a state championship for Leesville down the line. Sure so it wasn't me, believe me. It was definitely having really right. good kids. But, um, but yeah, it was 
it just shows that you know if you if you if you can motivate young kids like I said I don't think I'm the best coach but I think I can motivate people I think I can I can encourage people to try to do things they can't do and you know if you're that's a good coach bad coach it is what it is but I think that I have ways of motivating young people to do things well so I love that the last thing you just said right there because you said you have ways of motivating and getting kids to do things that maybe they didn't think they could do i uh, being a teacher here at Millbrook and I've taught some of the kids that you've coached yeah. And um, some of them, you know, academics was, was a challenge for them, mm-hmm. um, whether it was the ins and outs of a, an algebraic equation or, or was it just the structure of a classroom. And, you know, you never really know about kids until you see them in multiple environments. And I would come sometimes, you know, whether I was helping uh, supervise a game or working on the clock at one of your games, and I would hear some of the most complicated play calls and systems coming out, and I would just see these guys flying all over the court um, making incredible decisions, and I'm thinking in my head, this guy hadn't turned in his homework in a month, right? but you just yelled three different cities and four numbers, and he knew exactly what he was doing. Right. And uh, talk a little bit about how you get those kids to buy in, how you have used, how you've trained their decision-making, how you've kind of taken a little bit of a, of an not necessarily academic, but you've been training the IQ of the game for these guys. Yeah, um, I think with, I think with, I, my biggest thing when I coach, I think uh, my, my number one rule is I treat every kid the same but different. Meaning some kids, you know, IQ is off the charts. You can show them something one time and they learn it and they can just, they can catalog it and they, they've got it forever. And then some kids you've got to continue to, to repeat it as much as possible. So basketball is one of those sports that we're lucky enough to practice as many days we do, and we may play two or three games a week sometimes, you're able to, to show these different things. Like, um, like I would imagine if you're, showing, you're putting up um, math problems, you've got a certain amount of time to kind of teach that particular thing before right. you move on to something else. And in basketball, I feel like you can continue to go back, review, 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 you know, in, in, you know on the court, off the court, you know, drawn on the board, call the kid, do, do it separately. Some kids are more... Um, walk through it, some will more see it, watch it, some will you videotape it, show it to them. And I think just finding out what what button to push to make this kid learn it. Now, some really don't get it, and some you have to make sure when they're in the game you run certain things so you don't put them in a bad place. And we've got those kids. We've got some kids in you know, that public school you're going to get, you're going to get a melting pot of what kind of right. kids you get. So sometimes we run, you know, really, you know, crazy stuff that kids have got to remember and sometimes for those kids that don't know as much you keep it simple we had a kid one year that that basically the thing he was really good at was setting the ball screen mm-hmm. so he would just the play the play was his name so he called his name and then he would go set the ball screens and that got us going and he was able to help us because he was really good at it and it gave him energy so i think i found i f- try to find ways that we can accentuate what their, their positives are and you know hopefully they all get it if not then I think you've got to kind of dummy down the process a little bit to kind of help everybody out but I know in a class sometimes you don't have the, the flexibility to do that if you've got so many different types of learning sometimes I guess you've got to kind of meet them in the middle the middle excuse me and that's got to be tough you know as far as educating the the, the kid that has a really high IQ to the one that maybe struggles a little bit yeah well, you know, it's uh, it's just it's always been impressive to me how how your teams have always been um, quite aware of game plans and 
and the execution. Um, do you feel like your time working with kids that weren't uh, maybe natural basketball players or weren't, you know, going to be future Division One athletes? Do you think that it helped you with your craft, or do you just find out like you coming to basketball coaching at not in a direct path, um, being maybe like a way that you were able to connect to these kids a little bit? Um, I think a little of both. I think when you're when you're able to coach high level kids and low level kids, I think you have to kind of find a medium, you know, find what works best and then go from there. My best coaching job ever, my team was 0-14. Mm-hmm. I coached my butt off that year. I mean, I, I taught every part of the game you could imagine our team, but it just wasn't very good. But those kids got better every day. I loved going to work. I loved working with those kids and they they enjoyed the season. We didn't win a game. But every day they got better. So I felt like if I could continue to teach the game this way and I get talent, then push the talent, of course, but basically go to work every day with the mentality that you want to try to build up whatever you have. And um, we kind of have a thing with Millbrook basketball is that we want to get 1% better every day. We get 5% great, 10%, but 1% is kind of our, our low point. We want to make sure that when we, we get handed into practice that we got better. And that's kind of my goal. Um, you know, so one of the things that I also have always paid attention and admired about your teams is they all seem to buy in, whether it's they all buy in on the effort that they put in on the defensive end of the, of the, of the court, or they all buy in with the way they dress during games. Um, what, are, what are some more of these core values, and, and how do you implement those things? You know, for us that are coaches of other sports or at other places, like, you know, that discipline piece oftentimes is not the first thing we arrive at because we want to win or we want to, you know, run a system or we want to, you know, put the players, quote unquote, in their position to succeed. But, you know, some of those detailed things might actually be a difference maker that I, th- I think I've seen for you guys. Right. I think what I what helped me was I was watching when I first started coaching, I was watching team play and every team you know this this team at this event. Every every guy had on a di- like like a different sock or different shoe, and I was like, man, that just it just seems so disorganized to me. It seems so individual, and this is a team sport. Right. So I decided whenever I was going to coach that I wanted my team to always look the same. So same socks, same shoes, you know, and try to make it where it was affordable enough where everybody could afford it, and it wouldn't be a situation where I know in soccer is tough because people's feet are different. They like wearing certain shoes, but I was like, okay. Well, at least I'll wear black shoes or all white shoes or something so so we can incorporate team. And I think that's kind of helped us on the court because, because basketball, to me, it, you have to be together. You can't – one guy can't win you a championship. Okay. you got to have other people out there to help him or her win. So with that being said, I felt like if you kept everyone dressed the same, if everyone has that mentality, then, then everyone should be expected to do the same thing on defense and on offense. And – in the hallways and in the classroom and on the bus and when we do our civil service things out in the community everyone goes to them so no one was able to just be about me it should be about us about about what we do our goals instead of me or or my goals and i know it's something small but i know a lot of coaches and a lot of people take attention to the fact that we wear the same socks and shoes to games it's very important to me to look the same and uh, one year, one of our JV kids, um, I guess me and the coach hadn't discussed that, he let that team wear one blue shoe, one white shoe. 
and I was not happy <laughs> because it just—it's just not what what to me what what I want want to come across in our program as as what we do. Right. Now, the whole team did it, but it was not something I was cool with, and I basically let the kids and the coaches know the situation because you know it comes back all back on us. Right. It, it didn't—it didn't look like something I wanted to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So to me, the look. I guess gives the mentality of what we should be on the court. Right. I mean, I, I've always thought that it, you know, I know that they're amateur athletes and everything, but it is a level of professionalism and a level of discipline that I, I think does go a long way. And when you're looking for an edge or you're looking for that, you know, 1% or more improvement, and if you got a kid who's maxed out his talent and he's not getting taller than five foot nine, right. and as much as his heart's into it, he's not going to be able to just run by people but uh if they're bought in with little things like the way they look the way they dress and then they can buy in with things like effort things like being on time i think that that kind of shows up and then the kids start to develop things like pride well that's not just a sports thing you know that's that's a, a thing that they that we want them to take outside of this and um you know i definitely have have noticed that about you guys and tried to implement that with, with the teams that i've coached um <coughs> Is there ever just with, um, you know, I'm kind of going a little bit of a different direction now. Now, have you coached, you've coached outside of high school, right? You've yes. coached some, some travel ball, some yes. AAU. Yes. Tell me a little bit about how one has affected the other. Oh, it's weird. I think I've learned how to coach the elite athlete because mm. I've had such, you know, I've had really good travel teams that, played on national level that, you know, college coaches were talking over my guys. I played, I've had a couple of dogs All-Americans mm -hmm. on my team that, I, that I've been able to deal with. So dealing with the pressure of, of our seniors and our juniors that are getting attention from colleges, I've been through it. So mm -hmm. discussing visits, you know, how to talk to your counselor about what you should be taking school-wise, NCAA Clearinghouse. I've done so much of that that has helped me to be able to understand and, and, and break things down to them. And it's also, I've been able to help our student athletes that are not division one. Right. They say, okay, listen, these are your options. If you wanna play basketball in college, you can, you, can, you can be a great student and you can get into said school mm -hmm. and you can possibly walk on, you can play in the murals, you can maybe take my route, maybe become a coach or you can find somewhere where you want to play, and that school has great academics as well. Right. And maybe it's on Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, junior college level, and you can still go on and continue to do what you do because eventually, the ball's going to stop bouncing for you. And I learned that through anything through through this. You know, I used to coach Webb Simpson, mm -hmm. and I was like, Webb, you probably should stop playing basketball. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? I was like, man, you're a great golfer. You probably should just focus in on that and. He probably could have made the JV team at, at Broughton and made the varsity team, but I guarantee you now him not him making that decision to yeah. just stick with golf was, was the best decision. And sometimes you got to make those those hard harsh decisions. You know, I hate that you you have to break it down that way. And that's why I think the rec league was a good start for me because I was running into really good athletes that weren't playing basketball at their school, right. but they loved the game enough to want to play it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when I think about the, the dynamics in um, outside of school with, with travel teams or AAU 
or uh, in uh, in soccer we call it classic uh, at times, and it's uh it's such a different world with now that coaching has become monetized. You know, um, all of all of my coaches growing up had you know they they were a part time coach and a full time whatever else, and now you know I'm sure you you're seeing it on the basketball side, but we see it in our world um, with soccer. We see people that are full time coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that changed? It, the it, dynamic of high school basketball. It's weird. Um, more than that, social media has, has been a big, mm. good and bad for, for high school basketball because, um, you know, you can go to AAU tournament or travel tournament and you can play nine or ten games in a weekend. Okay. High school, you're going to play three a week if you're right. lucky. So college coaches can – have a better they can get they can get more done by going to an AAU tournament that's a live event mm-hmm. and watching countless kids in one building or one one city over trying to get to imagine there are thirty something high schools in Wake County mm-hmm. or they're trying to get get to a game in Raleigh and a game in Charlotte instead of going to one place at one time. So so the social media aspect makes it big. So a lot of a lot of individuals will blow up things, mm-hmm. events, games, things of that nature. So you know, you you have to make sure your kids stay locked into what their goal is and what their focus is with the team, mm-hmm. so they don't allow that to to they they see you know a friend of theirs you know scored x amount of points in the game, so now they've got to take 12, 15 more shots because their friend, someone said on their website they did a good thing or social media is blowing this kid up, then they've got to got to try to get to that place instead of um, not allowing you know academics are going to help you get into school so you know that's the one thing social media doesn't do a great job of is okay this kid may have scored 40 points but what's his gpa right. is he going to be eligible to go to said school that's offering him a scholarship that kind of thing over you know the kid who has a 4.2 who is an outstanding senior who is you know is part of national honor society who has done everything he's supposed to do and he's averaging 12 points a game that would be an ideal student for any school. That kid is worried that he won't get he or she won't get an opportunity to play at the next level because they're it's not getting blown up as much. So it gets really scary with some of those kids about about trusting the coach and trusting mm-hmm. the system because they see those things. So that's you know just having our kids. You know we try to do things social media wise to help them as far as putting out great right. analysis, putting out things about them. And I think. Um, my social media guys actually done a video on every kid, you know, mm-hmm. and different information. So we're doing our part to help with it, but that to me that is the toughest part. And I don't know how in the soccer world how big that is. And actually, I can't even think. Um, I think football is probably as big as that as far as relations. But I, I'm wondering about the other sports, like how how much social media hurts right. hurts a program over helps it. Well, I mean, I mean, on the soccer side of it, uh, just social media has so many positive ways to promote things and people and get good messages out there. Right. But I think as human beings, we get a little bit intoxicated with the status yeah. and, and the attention that comes with it. And like, I understand when a 17-year-old gets excited because, you know, new people that you never even heard of sending a message said, you know, great game the other night or, you know, looking forward to seeing you play next Friday. And, and that's a really exciting thing and what an awesome thing that sports can do for you. But then, like, what I struggle with a lot of times is when parents 
start using social media or or opinions that come from wherever out there yeah that start should be their way of gauging how successful their son or daughter is right and um uh how that should be dictating playing time or success of the team what are some things that you're doing now to try to uh maybe educate parents or maybe even just defend against the the role that social media and outside um i guess outside factors are affecting your team dynamic yeah you know i have some parents that are really worried about what happened on social media Mm -hmm. so i spend a lot of time talking to them about just just the aspect of not worrying about what's being said because um you know what's what's being typed or what's being you know being voiced into a phone or whatever and being the send button that's not the real world all the time so just understand that those things is someone's opinion right doesn't necessarily mean that that's what every school feels or, or every recruiting analyst or whatever else or scout, but but that's someone's opinion. And if that person says your son or daughter is garbage in a sport, first of all, that's sad that they say something yeah. like that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. Just like they say your son is the best or daughter is the best player in the country, doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. So you continue to do what you can control which is what they do academically what they do on their particular teams be it their travel or their school team and they'll continue to be a good person because when they meet those coaches and the coach is talking to them and they're having to make respond social media can't help them with no you know your grades social media can't help you when they ask for a transcript when they ask for a writing sample, that's not, you know, you, you can't use social media to help you with those things. When you're taking the SAT or ACT, those, those things are not even in the room anymore. So mm-hmm. just teaching them to, to, to love what they do, to enjoy it, and try to be the best at it they can, whatever they're doing, I think, is, is what we try to, try to stress. And that's one thing I make sure I try to stay on with our people. Well, I mean, that's a, that's like a moving target, man. You know, yeah. that stuff feels like the goalposts move every day yeah. whenever I try to get a sense on, you know, what's going on with that because I find there's just so many ways that you can just take a wrong turn and there's so many holes that you can fall in. And it's, you know, for me, you know, journalists of newspapers or, or other publications, they have editors. They got people saying, ah, maybe we don't say that or maybe that doesn't represent this group. And... A lot of these smartphones and <laughs> they yeah. don't they don't have editors right and uh, that's a little bit of a scary thing you talked earlier about coaching Webb Simpson yes. PGA golfer he's won major championships yes. on the PGA tour um, and you kind of encouraged him to head into the specialization world yes you said you know what as, as fun as you are to be around yes maybe that golf is gonna take you somewhere else yes when, well, first of all, are, 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 is, is there still an environment that rewards multi-sport athletes or has specialization taken over to the point? Because, uh, you know, I'm curious to hear what you think because I think probably the best athletes in the world are playing basketball, you know, because I think you give me a basketball player, I could probably turn him into a pretty good soccer player pretty right. soon. Right. Um, you know, and to a certain extent, can some soccer players play basketball? Yeah, but they can't be six eight, weigh two hundred fifty pounds, and have a forty inch vertical. Right. Um, they can uh, have a big heart, maybe. But right. Yeah. You know, so when 
do you, do you think there's still a place for that? I think, I tell you, I think, I think it's when. I don't think it's the fact. I think it's if a kid loves playing sports, I think you allow him or her to play their sports. If, they, if they're in the ninth grade and they really love playing two or three sports, I think you do it. I think you let them enjoy that. But if they're wanting, if they're, they're starting to push away from the others. Right. I still think they should do the other ones in a rec, you know, mentality or, you know, with their friends uh-huh. or keep it social. But if they really want to lock into that particular thing, I think they've got to, I think they got to go full boat with it. I think right. it's, like I hate to say it, I think they almost, it almost has become their job. Because a lot of kids, when they're playing, you know, a high-level sport in high school, a lot of times their parents don't have them working. If they do, right. it's a part-time job or something. So their jobs are going to school and that particular sport. So if they're wanting to do that at the next level, I always say, I always try to tell our kids, think about what size you are, think about what position you are, and imagine every school in Wake County has one of those kids just like it. And then to multiply that by Greensboro, Charlotte, Fayetteville, and then let's go to Virginia and they go to South Carolina and let's put all these people at the same position as you in one pot. What's going to separate you from that person? If you're trying to get that soccer scholarship and you're a goalie, what's going what's to be the thing to separate you from that if, let's say, you're playing um, lacrosse and you like playing baseball? Right. Like, what are you going to do if you know you want to play college soccer? and you want to play at a Division One level, mm-hmm. but you have these other two things that you love to do as well, like, unless you were elite at all of them, it's going to be really tough to do. Right. You know, one of my, one of my former players, Thayer Thomas, plays football for NC State. Mm-hmm. He plays football, baseball, and basketball at Heritage High School. Played them all at a very high level. I thought he was a great baseball player. I thought that's what sport he was going to go into. I pushed him towards that. He decided to bet on himself, walk on to NC State, earn a scholarship, and now he plays basketball, plays baseball and football there. Wow. Now, he believed in himself, high GPA, high motor kid, the kind of kid that would leave a baseball game and come to my AAU practice mm-hmm. like same day and work out, and we'd go to a tournament. He would meet us at tournament after playing baseball, and he decided, I can do all three. Okay. So now at the college level, Division One level, he's playing Division One football, and he's playing baseball. Now, so, that, that's amazing. That, that, that is that. amazing. And and I'm sure, you know, just looking at him, he just looks like somebody different. Oh, gosh. But the conversation that doesn't happen with that, you know, we hear that story about there, and everybody's like, man, I could do that. Mm-hmm. But what we don't hear, to me, like, those people aren't normal. Right. You know, that, that kid had a level of discipline, a level of talent, of course, but a level of, um, like you said, belief and focus that is, you know, probably two, three percent of people have that. Probably less. And, and how often are those conversations happening, uh, whether it's between you and your players, parents, that say, you know what, I think your kid likes sports. Right. Or your kid wants the prestige of playing at North Carolina State or UNC. But in all reality... It's weird you say that. I here at Millbrook, I taught, I've taught several kids out of playing basketball to focus on the sport. And we've got a we got a really good offensive lineman that I, I talked out of playing this year. That is, as offers have gone out, skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. So he and I were talking the other day, and he goes, Coach, you know, I really appreciate you talking to me and giving me, you know, 
you know, they go ahead just to pursue football instead of playing basketball. And when I look at it, that kid didn't have what Thayer has. Right. Thayer's go-to, Thayer's, Thayer's, you know, his his car is full of, he's got a basketball, right. a glove, right. some spikes, a football, some glove, football, like, his, his trunk is full of essentials for his craft and his, his computer and books are back there too. So you've got to be made a little different right. to, to be able to do that because you can't be lazy mm-hmm. and be at that level. You can't be lazy and be elite at something, more than one thing. I mean, think about you as a math teacher. If they gave you 19 preps and you're teaching 20 classes, right. You know, how great are you going to be if you've got all these different things you're trying to do over it? They say, okay, we're going to, this is, this is you. You can, this is what you can become. You can lock into this. But maybe you're multi-talented. Maybe you're really, really good at this and this. And you can, you can push those out and be right. great at it. But I think the more you get in life, usually you, you get stressed out a little bit. And right. I think maybe, like I told Thayer, I said, you probably in middle school, you probably ran track, played soccer. I was like, you probably played every sport, so now you get to high school, and the vacuum's getting a little smaller. So right. now you're still elite enough to play three. So now you're at a Division One level, and you're playing two at a high level. So if you're good enough to continue up, now, you know, you know, Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson are two people. I can't remember many more that were able to do right. both. Like Russell Wilson made a choice. Russell Wilson. Tyler Murray made a choice. Yes. You know, and these are elite players at their sports and were elite on the college level as well. But, like, you know, I mean, you, you still find these guys making choices. And, I mean, in the case of Kyler Murray, he gave back money yes. you know, to say, hey, I think I'm going to do this other thing. I, I, I just worry that we're not honest enough with kids. Like, I know it's, a, it's like a, a sensitive place to say, you know, you want the kids to dream, you want them to believe in themselves. And right. I love that idea of bet on yourself. I love that. Right. But at the same time, like, I, I think it's important that parents have conversations with coaches that don't start with, all right, where are you going to get my kid to? Right. Or my kid wants to do that, and we told them that that's okay. Like I think we got to be a little bit okay, uh, you know, okay with listening and and finding ways to find a place that a kid can be successful and and understand that just because you know somebody who's playing basketball at Duke doesn't mean that you're gonna play basketball at Duke. And I think there's a lot of times I have conversations with parents with, well, we've played soccer with Sally and Johnny our whole our whole lives and, and we're being on all the same teams as them but that doesn't mean you're just as good and that doesn't mean that you fit into what we're trying to do just as much so right you know i, I don't know and the, and something to add to that i think sometimes what i have to remind parents is when a coach is trying to decide who is going to play for him or her none of it's first of all personal right. and two they're making the decision what's best for them no doubt. If they have in their mind what they're looking for, I don't. I tell our kids that I can't be upset with the school if they are looking for a six-five point guard. Maybe you're six-one, and that's where you really want to go to school. But in their mind, they need a six-five point guard. So then you decide: do you do you put all your eggs in this, and you know your your forms are sorted and what they want, or do you put yourself in a situation? that you try to find another school or you, or you you put your talent to where where you'd be better suited instead of 
being upset that this school doesn't want you. Right. So I think sometimes it's you're upset with said school because they don't they're not recruiting your child when that's not a problem. You know, there are other schools available, so why don't you focus your attention to what we can do to help him right. or her get to that place right. instead of, and then I say use his motivation, okay, this school didn't like you, you weren't good enough to play at this school, okay, fine, okay. then go to Campbell, Chris Clemens, yeah. go to Campbell and be the, the number three all-time leading scorer in Division One history. That's right. You couldn't. You probably couldn't have done that at NC State. And, and, and what if you could find a place that fits you so well that it unearths some potential that you had no idea that you had? I mean, that's the thing that I think a lot of, you know, I've been tough on parents, but not just parents, just a lot of folks don't understand so many things have to go right for these elite potentials to be, um, to be realized, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. as coaches, we want that for everybody. Right. We wouldn't select kids for our teams if we didn't want that for them. But right. we also know that some hit and some don't right and you know we're going to do our best to get those kids to be successful but also be like part of our overall system that helps us out and i've always thought that you've done an, an amazing job of that and i think that that's a big part of my admiration is that you know i've had kids come through this school that i've coached and they've gone to amazing places you know, they they played pro soccer right um but the consistency of winning that you guys have been able to turn out has always been something that I've been so impressed with. I mean, you went a, a, a good chunk there where you didn't have any kids go play Division One right. basketball, where you didn't have a ton of kids even playing college basketball at all. Right. But, you know, you're finding yourself in regional finals. Right. You know, and, 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 and I think that that's something that's always been a super important and a super impressive thing. Thank you. You know, not many people understand the difference between uh, you know, Mark Jackson said a really funny thing when I was watching a basketball game tonight and he said um, there are no Hall of Fame basketball coaches that aren't attached to a Hall of Fame player mm. but there's a bunch of Hall of Fame players that play for some terrible coaches right. you know it's hard for us to get the recognition for what we do right. when the players aren't of a certain level and so as a, a really good coach, you understand what you're working with and you make the best meal with those groceries that you have. And, and, and I think that's, like you said, your best coaching job, you, were, you, you had zero wins. And I, and I think that that's the kind of stuff that doesn't show up. But uh, I, mean, I think other coaches recognize that in you uh, for sure. Let me, um, let me shift gears a little bit on you. I want to ask, um, you know, I've gotten to know you a little bit over our time working here together. And, uh, one of the things that I've always um, appreciated about you is your ability to adapt and get along with everyone. Right. You know, I don't know if that's something that's a sense of pride or something that you think about a lot, but, you know, for me, for being somebody who has a, a bit of a temper and has a bit of a, a, a hard-headed streak in me that if I think I'm right, then I don't really need to listen to anyone else. Right. And, you know, I've found that there is a lot of value in getting along with other people. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that means for you? I tell you, man, that, that means my, my father, Max Davis, did a great job <laughs> because uh, <clears throat> my dad was just a real friendly person. Like, he, he's really, 
he's the kind of guy that if you had a your car issue with your car, he'd fix it for you. If you had an issue at your house, he would try to help you. So I think I just, I've always been a kind of a person to just be able to fit in a room. Like if I go into a room and I'm meeting people for the first time, I'm gonna get to know who they are. I'm gonna get to know their likes, dislikes, and I'm gonna try to stay on that good side as far as um, being friendly and, and being a person that they would like, like wanna talk to or wanna say things to. And I think I kind of got that from him, to be honest with you. Um, I try to be friendly to everyone. Like, you know, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna like everybody, but I think in this world we gotta live with each other. So I think to make it better for me, I try to be as as engaging and as friendly as possible. And I feel like um, when I see people upset, you know, if I see you in a bad place about things, I like I like to try to have you leave with a smile. Mm. So I think that that to me, when I when you break down the person's defenses of being upset, I think that gives you that gives you an advantage. And I know, like for for instance, um, I may see you and you're upset about the fact that your game got canceled. Yeah. And I'll be like, well, coach, man, yeah, you took the wife out tonight for dinner. Like, yeah. You know what? Yeah, I, you know, I'm taking her out for a while. You know, something where you can kind of you can spin it and you say, okay, I'm not as happy I'm missing my game, but you know, I get this thing. So, the weather the other day, you know, you know, we had the the potential bad weather, so they they canceled school. And um, then they canceled school. You know, you got out of school early and they canceled the next day. So we're not going to play your game Friday. I said, okay. I was like, well, you're not upset? I'm like, no, we're, we're saving lives. I mean, maybe something bad happens. Trees are falling all over the place. We'll play it next week. I mean, like, you can you can get riled up about it or, right. you, can, or you can move on from it. So I think I try to... I try to impose that as like, much as I can on other people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it helps me. And it helps them. Oh, I, I definitely... Right. You know, I've, I've benefited from that for sure. Um, do you feel like it's helped you coach or get along with some of your players? I mean, I think it's really easy as a coach to say, I've got something you want. You want playing time. You want to win games. Right. Uh, do what I say. Right. Um, but I've never seen that side of you ever. <laughs> so, so, you know, tell me a little bit about your approach circling all the way back to kind of like our kids that we coach. Right. Like how had – how do you use a little bit of that mindset with the getting along? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a players coach. You guys would definitely say they love playing for me. Like my guys, like I keep relationships with my players. And my manager's past graduation, I still talk to them and deal with them and things. And I think the thing they'll say about me is that I'm honest, but I'm nice about it. That's challenging. I don't know if yes. anybody's ever it, told it, you that. It That's is. very difficult. And and Coach McGinnis, our AD here, said that um, he doesn't know how I can I can walk into practice late. And somebody can walk in after me, and I can make them run, and nobody says a word. Right. Like, you know, you just got here. You know, right? <laughs> but but I just have a way of of being of them understanding that I love them and I care about them. Mm-hmm. But when I have to get on you, I'm going to. I'm going to do my job. You know, it's all love. It's just like a parent. You know, you love your kid. You love your kids. But if they do something wrong, you have to punish them. Right. But that doesn't mean you don't love them. If you take their stuff, if you take their phone or whatever. That means you don't love them and don't care about them. It's just the fact that this particular time, you've not done something that I want you to do, and you got to be handled. So if a kid's taken out of the game because they're taking bad shots and not playing defense or hustling, I tell them, I'm going to get on them about the situation. Mm-hmm. After I've gotten on them, I'm going to forget it right. and move on to the next thing. Now, if you stay in that, that's on you. But if you understand me and understand what I want from you, I'm trying to get perfection. Are you going to be perfect? No. 
but I'm striving for that. So when you make a mistake and I need to handle you about it, I'm going to. And when I do, understand I'm doing it because I care and because I, I know you can do better. If you're doing your best and you make a mistake, it is what it is. But if you're not sprinting back on defense, that's a you problem. Either you're injured or you need to come out of the game. And when you do and you're pouting about it, I'm going to let you know that I'm not going to be cool with that. Mm -hmm. And I do it in a way where they, I, I will definitely, I'll talk during the game, I will talk to them. I'll have a conversation while I'm coaching because I need them to understand how important they are to me and right. to what we're doing. But understand, you're not going to be out there in the court not helping us. Well, and, and so many kids, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, like if, if you don't get that feedback from the coach, your brain defaults to worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. So he pulled me out of the game because he hates me. Right. And I'm never playing again. Right. And I think that, that the fact that you understand that, yeah, the game is going on, mm -hmm. and yeah, you've got other people that you're supposed to be paying attention to, like actually giving that kid that feedback right. ends up helping everybody because right. it's, it's kept this kid on board. Right. And I mean, that's definitely a place that I've made mistakes as a coach because. You know, it's easy to just say, maybe I just need to cool down or maybe you just need to cool down. But one of the things that I forget is how important that feedback piece is. And to add to it, I meet individually with every kid. Mm -hmm. if, if it's 30 seconds to five minutes, pretty regularly, just to just find out where they're at. Like, hey, you know, you're not playing this much because of this. Or it would help you if you did this. So they kind of understand what, where, where we're at on things. And I like to meet with me and them. Like I, like I tell our kids and I, at our parent meeting, I say, listen, parents, you guys are great. You guys are going to support. But your son or your daughter is the best player on our team to you. Mm -hmm. No doubt. They're all my sons and daughters. So I have to do what's best for Millbrook. So trust us to work out any problems we have on the team. And our parents are, are I will say, really, really good at knock on wood, really good about that. And they, they allow us. So if a kid's not playing as much, the kid – has every right to say, hey, coach, what can I do right. to help? What right. can I do to get better? What can I do to play more? And, I, and, the, and the kid and I will meet. I'd rather do that because the parent is going off of what they see at practice or uh -huh. games. I mean, at games because they don't come to practice. So they're not able to see their son not hustling, right. getting beat out on drills, right. getting outworked on plays. So then they can be like, well, man, you know, you're, you know, you're letting Joe and, Je Joe and Jim outwork you instead of, you know, you know, we're you know we're running sprints and you're the last guy, or you know your your shooting percentage is at this place, or you're defensively you're not helping us. Where we can agree to disagree, or we can we can talk through where he or she's having those problems mm -hmm. over mom and dad saying, hey, I don't understand why well, my son doesn't play as much as Joe. Joe and them play on the same AAU team. He plays more than Joe does. Well, I don't know the AAU practices, yeah, but no here at Millbrook yesterday. You know, and I'm like, well, now we're getting to, to you know, player versus player. Right, that's right. Not really and that's not even productive at yeah. all. So, I mean, I, I, I think that that's a really important thing, that regular feedback and that regular meeting, because there's, you know, such a disconnect between uh, people's perception with their small sample size that they see and then kids are there. Um, how do you deal with the player that's unhappy and doesn't understand um, maybe whether it's why they're not getting to play a certain position and not getting to take a certain amount of shots or, or not getting the playing time that they feel like they deserve. How do you deal with that? Like, what's that conversation sound like when that kid doesn't seem to have the perspective on their own 
effort and ability compared to who they think they should be above. Yeah, that that happens. And <clears throat> the biggest thing with that, coaches, I, I'm, I'm honest. This right. is what I see. This is what I feel. I will sometimes include my other coaches involved, you know, so we can have it, um, you know, different voices. But sometimes I feel like it. It, it bullies the, the student right, we to think be that, you, that you got yeah. more and more person saying the same thing. So a lot of times I just do it me and myself, you know, me and me, me and the student. And I like to get their opinion. I like to listen. I don't interrupt them. I let them say everything they need to say, get everything off their chest they need to say. And I, I, I make no facial expressions, no hand gestures. I, I listen. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything else but that. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not writing. I'm not taking notes. I'm not on my phone. I am straight listening to them. Right. So I let them finish, and then I go back through what they've said, and I basically tell them where I agree and I disagree, and I tell them that this is the way we have to do things because, and I understand that you don't feel the same way, but this is the way we have to do things. I understand you want to take more shots. You want more minutes, but you're not earning them. You're not earning your shots. You're not earning your minutes, and you're getting beat out right now. So if you can't fix those things, then nothing is going to change with that. Now, you're not going to disturb this team. Your attitude and your actions are not going to be a problem for us. So if you're going to be able to do this and fight through it and continue to work, I'm great. But if you're going to be pouty, you're going to have issues, then, then I want you to seriously think about if you want to be a part of this. And I say it in a very nice way, mm-hmm. but I say it to let them understand that they're not going to be a distraction to what we're doing. Right. Because um, with that, I also, when we have this meeting, when we're done, I basically ask them to repeat everything I said. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times when you do that, they heard every fourth or fifth right, thing. Right, right. So they go home and it's like, Mom, Coach David said I'm not on the team anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. What? It's not. It's not really what we said. Right, and 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 I and I think that's kind of why I do that is because I feel like when they're hearing you, they only want to hear, yes, you're gonna right. play. That's right. And and when they you, when you don't have that answer for them, it's I, you know I, you know I'm garbage. You don't want me on the team. You don't like me. Mm-hmm. Instead of you're not getting it done. You're not. So they hear that as you don't like me. Right. You know, you're not. Um, you're not sharing the basketball. I'm selfish. Well, I can call you selfish if you want me to, but I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the shots you're taking, you think they're good shots, but they're not helping us. Right. They're, they're, they're putting us in a bad place. So so with the ball, I try to make sure, and, and in basketball, from a, from a, from a, I mean, think about your sport. I mean, you know, 3 nothing is a, a great scoring game. Absolutely. So imagine – Guys are open for, for possible shots, and the ball's not getting crossed. And the guy's mad because he feels like he's open, but the ball keeps getting shot from the left. And he's like, now he's not sprinting. Right. Now he's not helping you defensively because he's mad because he's not getting his touches. And you're like, you are hurting us. I can help get the ball switched. Right. But I can't help get it switched if you're not there. That's right. We can't get the ball back because you're not helping us defensively. Or being where you're supposed to be at, I can't tell them to switch the ball if you're not going to be in your place. So, if you're not going to do that, then I need to put somebody else in that spot that will. And they may not be as skilled as you, but if they're going to do what we need them to do, right. then, then we got to go with that. That's right. 
that you know I, I talk a lot about trust mm-hmm. I got to be able to trust you I got to be able to trust that your decisions that you make are going to fit in with what we talked about in our game plan right and if your decisions aren't fitting in with that game plan even if you are a good player and can do some good things by yourself I got 10 other people who have no idea what you're doing yes and then that's a that's a that's a tough thing to get everybody to understand in real time and we're in a microwave society now yeah. too so they're really expecting they went to said camp, so now they're supposed to be able to do all those moves. That's right. Out there. That's right. And Instant. Yes, yeah, Instantly. Right. And something that I've, I've had to kind of teach our kids too is we don't we don't have the, we don't have leaders anymore. And I and I and you're gonna think this is crazy when I say this. I think it's because we became a society of signing kids up for leagues, dropping them off, having them go work out with the coach, come back, get in the car, get their own slices, go home. If you go by a park nowadays. There's no one outside playing in the park. Mm. There's no there's no touch football game or soccer game or pick up basketball because everyone takes their kids to a league yeah, or to a group structured. with a structured setup. When it's structured, there's no captain. True. There's an adult telling them where to go, what to do, who does what. So when the kids mess up, if you didn't pass the ball to me, I just pout. That's right. I just pout and I sulk. I don't tell I don't have enough in me to say, Hey man, pass me the ball. If I say that, then you get offended. Oh, he, 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 I just took a shot, one shot, and he's mad at me. Instead of it being a, a, a communication. So the other day at practice, um, this kid was upset because he didn't pass the ball to someone else. And he was like, pouting. And I was like, why are you mad? Tell him why you're upset. And he's like, I'm not upset he didn't pass it to me. I said, no, you're upset he didn't pass it to him. So tell him that. That's right. He's got to be able to understand right. that instead of you getting mad to the point where you're not even playing with each other. So... I think the more we can kind of bridge the gap or try to build some leaders mm-hmm. that just, you know, just say something. Just say, hey, man, I'm open. Or, hey, you should have passed the ball to her. She was open that time. That, she had a much better shot. And your teammate be able to take it as constructive, not punch to the face, mm-hmm. not you suck at life, not right. you're a bad person, but this helps us. And then that, that kid could be like, man, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I should have passed it. I'll pass. I'll, I'll look for it the next time, and I'll say that. Not mean. Not necessarily mean the next time it's going to be that way, but at least you let that person know that you you missed them and you feel bad about it. Right. So how how do you? I don't know if you do it by just celebrating it or t- you know talking about it. You're a guy who knows so much right. about the game and the coaching and the experience right. and what it should look like and how to help them with that process, but. At some point with the developing the leaders, I, I'm sure that you're going to have to like let them figure some stuff mm-hmm. out. So how do you reward, encourage, create environments to help with that as opposed to you being the guy that's the constant bridge? Because I find myself being the bridge for everything. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm the only person talking again. Right. And it's weird. I feel like some years I've had to lead it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And in some years, I've been able to build a leader, and then that person could just run with it, and I just right. kind of kind of follow, you know, his lead or her lead. Um, this year, I've been kind of doing it by trying to get, you know, seniors to lead first, mm-hmm. and then challenging my sophomore, my and my my juniors to, hey, you know, this is your team as well. That's right. So if you need to step up and say something, you know, I've got your back. You need to go ahead and say it. It's not going to hurt anybody's feelings. How you say it over 
when and why is the biggest thing. If you tell a guy that he is not playing good defense, if you say it in a way that makes him understand he's hurting the team, he's going to respond. That's right. But if you say, hey, Jerk, you're not playing defense, you know, you're killing us, you know, you're selfish, think about yourself. You, you, you. That's going to turn off. I said, you can even, I said, some guys even say we. We aren't taking good shots. Mm -hmm. I said, so how, and I'll tell them, I said, if I fuss at you about what you did wrong, but I never compliment you, you're going to always think about open my mouth when I say something bad. That's right. So sometimes when a guy makes a great pass, why don't you tell me, yo, I mean, you could only be on this team. That was a great pass. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, thank you. Like, that'll motivate that person to want to continue to do better. Not uh -huh. necessarily that he's going to make a behind-the-back pass, something crazy, but someone acknowledged he did something right. Right. Instead of it always being wrong. And I said that people need positive reinforcement. Oh, my wife would sit here and say that that's how she learns. She doesn't learn from criticism. And I'm right. like, how could you know if there's anything wrong if nobody criticizes you? But she, she constantly helps me kind of understand that she needs to, to know that I know that some of the decisions or some of the choices or some of the things that she's executing are the right things. Right. And as soon as she knows that I know that, then she's all ears for um, the constructive stuff. Right. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that you could be any more right about the stressing how you say things. And I, and I love the fact that you say that to kids. Mm -hmm. You don't just let them get their feelings hurt enough to know that. You right. know, I think right. that's a great thing. And just for me hearing you say that, I'm just running through in my head like, when's the last time I helped the kid understand the importance of tone? And then like. How many times have I run through the importance of that? And right. I think that's a, a really important thing for coaches to make sure they understand. And, you know, I think one of the things that could get coaches in trouble is when they only coach the way that they were coached right, or something like that. Um, How often do you find yourself adjusting, you know, I mean, I know that you, you wouldn't say that you coached the same way in 02 that you coached in 2020, no. but, like, how, how often do you literally reflect on your personality as a coach and what you're trying, how you're selling these things? Weekly. Weekly. I weekly have to do that. I weekly have to assess how what, I say, what I'm saying comes across and how they're handling it. Because mm -hmm. some weeks you can really ride them and get after them. And in some weeks if they've lost a tough game or, you know, we've had a tough week of studying for exams and guys are in and out, we had guys out sick. Then you've got to kind of kid glove it as far as how you deal with them and talk to them. And I feel like that I like like say in our in our like warm up stretch time, like I spend a lot of time like trying to get the pulse of where the team is. Uh -huh. okay. So if they're quiet or if they're real talkative or or giddy, like sometimes if I need them more serious, I'll get them serious. But if sometimes we need to like lighten it up and, mm -hmm. and be a little lively, I'll kind of change with the day. But but yeah, the kids' mentality in, in 2020 is so different from, you know, 2001, 2002, that you've got to, first of all, you know, dealing with, with public school kids, you never know what you're going to get. No. And you never know what you're going to get, what they got dealing with at home. That's and right. I've had homeless situations. I've had kids that didn't know where the next meal was coming from. I've had kids that, that, that literally were at practice and didn't want to go home uh -huh. from things. So... Sometimes you got to make sure your pulse is really close to where your team and knowing where they're at because you may snap at a kid who literally just got snapped on by his mom or dad. That's right. And that kid may be just one inch away from just going off. Mm -hmm. And 
and then plus knowing your kids, I mean, knowing what they need, knowing like some need a hug, some need you know need need a need, need a tap side of the head, <coughs> excuse me, but you know just how you do it, you know right. how what works better for them. So I really feel like to coach and be successful in this day and age, you know, you've got to you've got to get to know your kids, but as much as you can speak to them off the court or off the field, I think the better. But I mean, because in your sport. You're having to yell constantly because yeah. you're, you got a, you're on a field. You're yelling across the field. You know, you know the field is huge. So if you're yelling things to them, they've got to be used to picking up your voice and what you True. need. Over, is he just yelling again because <laughs> you know I didn't do this or that? Right. And I and I kind of stole this from football. You know, pregame football. You know, you watch like old Newt Rockney speeches or co- football coaches are yelling and. Rah, rah, rah. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to do that. No. My pregame speeches are very calm. They're very, like, I don't use the same speech every game. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't practice. I don't, I don't have, um, like, speech number three, speech number four. I want to be genuine with what I'm saying because I'm asking them to go out and be great 20, 30 times. Yeah. I'm going to try to give them something different every time mm-hmm. just because I wouldn't want a stale speech. If I'm about to go play, and if right. we're going to play this game, playing a game where I'm feeling pretty confident about us, I'm going to let our kids know I like our chances tonight. I'm not going to say we're better than them or anything like that, but I'm going to definitely make make sure they understand that we need to do these things. If it's a game and it's one, you know, it's a big rivalry game, or if it's you know one of those games, I'm going to definitely be at a different place as far as my emotions. Mm-hmm. But my Pre-game, my halftime speeches are really, are really everybody thinks we're going to lock them at halftime. Like, man, you know, you guys really came out right. fire. What did you say? And it's really speaking. It's more talking through our points. Our, you know, I usually have five points. Mm-hmm. Talking through our points, are we doing those things? And then we, we, we tinker with thing, a thing or two here or there. But it's nothing like, you know, you guys got to do this. It's never that. It, it's, it's, it's very controlled because I felt like um, – you can, I feel like you get more out of them when you're talking to them mm-hmm. than when they've been, you've been, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm yelling at you, your, your head might drop. Oh, yeah. But if I'm having a conversation, my guys are making eye contact. Even if they've had a bad half and I'm talking to them, then they can look at me and be like, yeah, you know what, yeah, yeah, right. my bad. And, and his teammates are, hey, you got it, man, you're going to be okay. Over, you're messing up, you're hurting the team. And then it's like, now I got to dig them out of the right. hole. Because the kids' right. confidence is not anywhere near like it used to be. That's right. So if you don't keep them up, then you don't know what. I, I, like to me, I found that when I if I've gotten on them really tough, then they have trouble rebounding back from that. Yeah, they do. I mean, because a lot of those kids know when they mess up. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily need us to to relive it with them. Um, and you often can, have to find ways to like just help them. You know, what's the path to get back? And usually they're tougher on themselves. Oh, yeah. You know, they know their mom or dad or, or family member is probably, you know, saying stuff to them if they, if they messed up on the court. And then they're beating themselves up about it, too. And then literally I've had to call from kids, hey, man, hey, it's all right. No, man, I shouldn't have turned. You know, I know. You didn't yeah. you do it on purpose. Yeah, that's right. I'll ask them, did you, did you mean to miss? No. Well, I had a kid, you know, missed a shot went over, you know, right before it went to overtime in the game last week. Oh, he was just so down on the bench. I said, hey, man, hey, great take. You know, just missed the shot. Happens. Did you mean to miss? No. Exactly. So we're done with that. Let's move on. Move on. And I try to do that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time. I could, uh, you know, I, I could go in a thousand more directions, <laughs> which I love talking to you. And hopefully, we could do this again at some point. Right. I'm sure I'll get a, uh, I'll get bent about something in the NBA or something in college or just high school sports, and just you know want to pick your brain about it. But right. uh, you know, I, I love have that I've gotten the experience of getting to know you and, and watch you coach and. I've definitely picked up a lot of, of, of the tiny things that you do, but I, I think our school is very, very proud of what you've been able to do Thank you. um, over your time. And, um, you know, I think only good things are ahead for, for you. I appreciate it. And like I said, I mean, you having this, um, this, this great podcast is awesome. And I appreciate it, that you'd even think enough for me to ask me to be on. I really, really honored. No problem. All right. Talk to you soon, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you.